my desire to be holy unto the Lord, the greatest desire in my heart to remain holy. I don't want to hurt this God who loves me so very much. So there are consequences to our sin. Yes, God can forgive our sin, but there are still consequences for our sin. Does forgiven sin still have consequences? Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. If you've been following along on our broadcast, you know that for the last few weeks, we've been in a study of the life of King David from the Old Testament. Today, we come to the conclusion of this study of a king who was a great servant leader, yet a man mired in sin. So David is guilty, guilty, guilty. His behavior has displeased the heart of God because he's broken practically every one of the Ten Commandments. And what were the consequences of David's sin? Uh, they were several. First of all, there were physical consequences. Now, remember I've taught you that in First and Second Samuel, you see the life of David, but in the Psalms that he wrote, you see the heart of David. There are two Psalms that David wrote in response to his sin with Bathsheba. The first one's Psalm 32. The second one is Psalm 51. So in Psalm 32, verses 1 through 2, David says, How great to know the forgiveness of God. So he knew God's forgiveness. We'll get to that in just a moment. But what's interesting is in verses 3 and 4, he writes these words, Psalm 32, 3 and 4. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. There were physical consequences to his sin. As he allowed his guilt to be pushed down deep inside and never dealt with, that guilt was like an internal punching bag. It kept beating him up and beating him up and beating him up. He never dealt with it. He never went to God. And over that time period, it was really a year's time period before Nathan the prophet came to confront him. During that time period, his bones wasted away. There was groaning internally within his heart, and his life felt like he was living in the middle of summertime, wasting away, hot, no energy. There were physical consequences to his sin. In Psalm 51, 14, he says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. His joy was lost. The guilt was just beating him up internally. There were relational consequences. We talked before how in Psalm 55, David laments a close brother who walked with him when he worshiped, betraying him and leaving him. Most people think that person was Ahithophel, who was a close counselor of David. But when Absalom, David's son, led a rebellion against his dad, Ahithophel went from David to Absalom, and it broke David's heart. Well, the question is, who's Ahithophel? In case you don't know, Ahithophel is Bathsheba's granddaddy. Let me tell you something. I'm a granddaddy now. I thought if you messed with my kids, let's go to war. You mess with my grandkids, let's really go to war. Bathsheba was Ahithophel's grandbaby. And when David mistreated her, his heart turned against his friend. There are relational consequences when we sin. Not to speak of the gossip that most certainly went throughout Jerusalem. There were messengers who saw what David did when he sent them and forced them to go Bathsheba. Do you think all of them remained quiet? You know good and well as I do. They whispered to someone, you're not going to believe what the king did. And she spent the night with him. And you know what happened. And do you think Bathsheba didn't tell somebody, I'm pregnant? Other than David, the word spread throughout the community and people's hearts of trust for their king began to abate. Chapter 12, 14 says, The enemies of the Lord can now taunt you, David, because of this. 
And please understand this, dear friends, if you call yourself a committed follower of Jesus and you commit a heinous sin like this against the Lord, particularly one of the big ten, especially adultery, it hurts the cause of Christ in the world. If I fell and I committed adultery against Maryland, it's not just Maryland who'd be hurt, my kids and my family, my mom and dad's name, but you know who'd really be hurt? Is the unbeliever who would look at my life and say, see, it doesn't work. The enemies of God started to taunt and scoff against God because of David's failure. 1127 says, it displeased the Lord. God's heart was broken. And really, my desire to be holy unto the Lord has a great desire, rooted partly in not wanting to disappoint Marilyn or my kids or my dad and mom's name. The greatest desire in my heart to remain holy is I don't want to displease the Lord. I don't want to hurt this God who loves me so very much. So there are consequences to our sin. Yes, God can forgive our sin, but there are still consequences for our sin. So one year later, between chapters 11 and 12 is one year. So one year David lived with this internal guilt in his heart, pushed down, covered up, beating him up, I think, probably daily, And so after one year, a man named Nathan comes to David. He's a prophet of God. He's a friend of David's. They'd gone through several different situations beforehand. And I find it fascinating that a close friend came to David to hold him accountable. Folks, we all need people in our lives to ask us tough questions to hold us accountable. And some of you say, oh, if I ask so-and-so, a good friend of mine, these tough questions, we might not be friends anymore. And I respond to that If you no longer have a friendship with someone because you've asked them a tough question, they weren't a friend to begin with. So Nathan, a close friend of David's, comes to him. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, chapter 12, verse 1. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now, there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he has no pity. So Nathan comes and shares a parable, a story with David to make a point. It's about a man who had one little ewe lamb he loved dearly like a daughter. And another man representing a rich man came and took that to have a feast and a sacrifice instead of taking one of the multitudes of the rich man's lambs. And when David heard it, his anger kindled greatly. It got angrier by the moment. And finally, David said, this is wrong. This is unjust. That man should have to repay the other four times, which was the Levitical code for when something was stolen or fourfold restitution. Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man. And then Nathan goes on to say, how, you know, David, I anointed you king over Israel and God has blessed you 17 years of unended prosperity. You could have had anything God wanted. You could have asked God for even more from all that he's given you, and he still would have given you more because he's such a blesser. God's such a blesser. And yet you had to take this one lamb 
that Uriah had when you had all these other options available to you. Verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. So we see David's gross sin. How in the world does God begin to restore him? Folks, there are several steps. If you identify with David in any way today and you feel your heart has sinned against the Lord, here are the steps God wants you to take. First of all, there's got to be conviction. There's got to be conviction. In other words, you've got to own up to your sin. You can't blame anybody else. There's no more the woman blames the snake and the man blames the woman. You've got to cry out like David did, I am the man. It's not the preacher, not the teacher, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I am responsible for my sin. And that's what Nathan came to give to David, was the first step that is absolutely important. I am the man. I am the woman. Lord, I have sinned against you. I have broken your heart. I've hurt your heart. I have sinned. Conviction. That's the most important step in being a man or woman after God's own heart. Folks, that's why God continued to work through David, even though he committed these heinous sins. Why? It's because he had a heart for God, and the key to a heart for God is conviction. It is the willingness to look at your life and say, I am the man, I am the woman. Okay. Next step after conviction is confession. Confession. Uh, when I was in college, uh, I contracted a huge boil on my upper thigh on my left leg, and it kept expanding and expanding and expanding. Finally, I went to the doctor, and he said, "Woo, that thing's infected. I've got to lance it immediately. And I went, what's that? And he says, I just need to slit it. And I said, okay, if that'll help me. And so he did. And folks, what was amazing is he took that scalpel on that boil, and all of that pus started oozing out. I felt such... Aren't you encouraged I said that to you? Okay. <laughs> but the point... My leg felt immediate relief. Confession is lancing the boils of your soul that you've allowed to fester and build up, beat you up, cause pain. Confession is saying, God, lance my heart. Now, Psalm 51 is the confession of David's sin. Let's look at especially verses 1 through 5 right now. Here's what David prayed. His confession. Have mercy on me, O God. Folks, that's where it all begins. You're basically saying, God, don't give me what I deserve. Again, isn't it amazing how we want justice for other people, but mercy for ourselves? Mercy means not getting what we deserve. David cried out, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your grace. And here's great truth, folks you cannot outsin the grace of God. God's grace is stronger than your sin. I don't care what you've done. Tell me you've done more than David. Adultery, murder, lying, stealing. God's grace is greater as evidence on the cross of Christ where he absorbed our sin upon himself. He took our death we should have had upon himself. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Blot them out. What does blot out mean? They're not seen anymore. 
that the cross of Christ means God forgives us of our sins and they are now no longer in his mind. God is a gracious, eternal amnesiac. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. God, I've broken your heart more than anybody else's so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. In other words, you can judge me and blot me out and you're justified in doing so. If you wanted to kill me right now, God, you're justified in doing so. And then in verse 5, David gives one of the most important verses in all the Bible, folks. Don't miss it. Psalm 51, 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Here's what David's saying, is I have something within me. The reason I behave this way is because of an inward propensity to sin that began the moment I was conceived. It's talked about in Genesis 3 that We have Adam's sin and his rebellion in us. We were all in Adam's loins. And the moment we're conceived, we have Adam's sin and transgression. That's a part of our lives. It's called the doctrine of original sin. It is repulsive to many in our culture. It is biblical thoroughly in every possible way. Why is it important? Because every single one of us is conceived with a rebellious heart against God. Yes, we have his image. Yes, we still do good things. But at our core, at our heart, why Jesus said the heart needs to be changed is a selfishness in all of us that wants life to revolve around us. If you don't believe that, have children. Please. Little babies, as wonderful as they are, as cuddly as they are, and they even do some good things sometimes, don't they? But they want the world to revolve around them, don't they? Just like you and I do too. The fact is, I've shared the gospel with many people through the years, and most people in our culture believe they're basically good people and occasionally do bad things. I'm here to tell you, biblically, we are basically selfish and occasionally do good things because the image of God stamped on our lives. Even the person who gives a million dollars to build a wonderful hospital wants his name on the cornerstone. Everything in this world we want to revolve around us. That's why we need a savior to save us from that selfish propensity. And David acknowledges, From the very beginning, there's something fundamentally wrong with my heart, God, that wants to rebel against you. And he confesses it to God. And if you want to get right with God, you'll too have to confess that before the Lord. So the cure begins with conviction and then moves toward confession. And then thirdly, we believe in forgiveness. We see that in Psalm 51 with verse 7. Verse 6, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David knew forgiveness. He knew that God had put a clean heart within him. It's interesting, the word he uses there for creating me a clean heart is the same word that's used in Genesis 1, bahra, which means from nothing, God created the universe. That is the benchmark of Genesis 1, that from nothing, God made this world. And here, from David's nothing heart, his heart filled with selfishness and greed and contempt against God. From that nothing heart, God created a new heart. 
a heart of forgiveness, a heart filled with joy, restoring to me the joy of my salvation. And then after that, after forgiveness, God restored. Verse 11 and 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Give me that willing spirit, that desire to obey you, God. So God has conviction, then confession, then forgiveness, then restoration that occurs in David. But there's one other message I need to give you today before I stop. And that is, how do you keep from this mess of sin ever recurring in our lives? Don't miss this last point. It's called flee. It's called flee. We're going, going to go back to the gaze. The first gaze you're not responsible for, you're responsible for the second one. Look at these adjurations in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians six eighteen: flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. When you sin against God and you sex outside of God's covenant of marriage, you sin against yourself, against your body. A literal part of you is stripped away and left on that other person. That's why intimacy is so difficult for people who've been sexually promiscuous through the years. So difficult. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from it. 2 Timothy 2.22, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Flee youthful passions. And then Jesus in Matthew 5, 28 and 29, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery within his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than you, you, uh, that your whole body be thrown into hell. Now, what's the Lord saying here? Is Jesus telling all of us that we need to be sightless and handless and footless in dealing with sin? No. What he's saying is the first glance is free. You're responsible for the second glance. Here's what he's saying. In the words of that inimitable godly theologian, Barney Fife, who said over and over again, nip it in the bud. Jesus is simply saying, stop it before it starts. listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with a conversation about the value of discipline. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp holding a sign that said, hungry, we'll work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. 
I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Hello, Jen Houston. It's great being with you today as well. Well, David, you titled this morning's e-devotions, The Disciplined Man is the Freest Man of All. That's quite a statement. Uh, it's very true, though, and it's another truth or a Davidism that I learned from my college basketball coach, Dean Smith. One thing I'd like to add here is so many of these Davidisms came through my father, mm-hmm. and I think a natural way for boys to grow into men is to have a great relationship with their father who teaches them about life and truth. The second most important person may well be your basketball coach, your football coach, your tennis coach, your soccer coach. Mm. Coaches have enormous impacts on young people's lives. So Mm. Marilyn and I, with our children who are all relatively athletic, we made sure they had good and godly coaches influencing Mm. their lives. We thought that was very, very important. And Coach Smith was one of those people for me. And this was one of his favorite phrases, the disciplined man is the freest man of all. Mm. Now, let's look at this. A disciplined man is somebody who is a able to control their passions, Mm -hmm. who is able to say no to forces that might be destructive. And when you're able to say no to things that could be destructive, you are the freest person of all Mm -hmm. because you have the freedom to say no. You can then live your life to the full. You're not constantly under the bondage of something or someone who is demanding from you. Uh, Interestingly, in the list of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, there's love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, faithfulness this kindness. And the one that hardly ever gets talked about is the last one. It's self-control. That when you have the Holy Spirit living inside your heart, you should have all those fruit. And one of those being is self-control. You are able to control yourself. You're able to say no to temptations that could destroy you. You're able to be disciplined in your life so that you're free to enjoy life to the full. Mm -hmm. And I just think a lot of people have not disciplined their thought life, disciplined their bodies to be Mm -hmm. exercised, whatever it might be. And when you do that, yeah, it takes some effort. It really does take some effort. Mm -hmm. But in the end, you're able to accomplish so much more because you've been able to discipline, crucify is another Mm -hmm. biblical word, those lusts of the flesh Mm -hmm. that ultimately want to destroy. That's so good. I'm thinking about an example that my husband um, does in our household is when we we hit something that we have to make a big decision on, whether it's money or a choice or something. And when he disciplines himself to not get anxious about the money or whatever it is, it really helps me and it helps all of us be able to think clearly. And that's just one tiny little example. That's a great example. Because what you're saying with that is our emotions can be disciplined. Yes. And I really believe that. What else did Jesus mean in John 14, 1, when he said, let not your heart be troubled? Wow. Believe in God, believe also in me. What he's saying there is you can choose not to let your heart be troubled. And the way you do that is by focusing your thought life, not on the problem, but on faith. On trust, believing that God is in control of everything. And another thing, Jen, that's what the meaning of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, in my opinion. Your life is totally under the control of the Holy Spirit, every single area. And he leads you, not the lusts of your flesh. And when he leads you, you're free to make decisions that won't hurt you. You're the freest person of all. I love this. One of my favorite things I say to my kids is, Control yourself so I don't have to control you. (laughs) Great word. (laughs) 
Terrific word. Yes. Well, it's been great being with you again, Jen, and all. Please, if you'd like to receive these written daily Moments of Hope, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. They'll arrive in your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. from my heart to yours, free of charge to help your day begin with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. While you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. Also, check out David's weekly Hopecast, They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for peace in Israel 